Welcome to Turn on a Dime podcast with your host, Hannah Osborne. Turn on a Dime is the hub for examining the effects of media and cancel culture and how they coincide with past and present political events. Every other week, we'll feature a guest with knowledge on politics, media, or a combination of the two. Tune in every Monday at 3 p.m. for Turn on a Dime podcast. And now here's your host, Hannah Osborne. Welcome back to Turn on a Dime podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Osborne, and this week I want to spend some time breaking down events that occurred over the last week and what they mean in terms of the current political atmosphere. Last week began with a single air-to-air missile launched from Langley Air Force Base in Virginia, shooting down what has been determined as a Chinese spy balloon, last Saturday, February 4th. The balloon was shot down over the Atlantic Ocean near Myrtle Beach after traveling over the continental United States. The first sighting was made on February 28th. President Biden claimed that he first made the order to shoot the balloon down Wednesday, February 1st, but was advised against it in order to avoid civilian harm or property damages. Since then, the U.S. Navy has been at work in the recovery efforts of the balloon's technology. Officials claim that the spy balloon is part of a global fleet, with balloons flying over 40 countries. Chinese Foreign Ministry spokeswoman Mao Ning claims that the balloon was an unmanned civilian airship used for meteorological research and that shooting the balloon down was an overreaction on part of the U.S. government. Despite these claims, the United States is believed to have determined that the balloon was made by an approved vendor of the China's People's Liberation Army for purposes of espionage. Additionally, Foreign Ministry spokesperson Wang Minbin claimed that 10 American air balloons have flied into Chinese airspace over the past year. These events have increased tensions with China. Secretary of State Antony Blinken immediately canceled a diplomatic trip to Beijing following the events. Attempts to discuss the matter over a crisis hotline shared between the two countries have been declined by China. Public officials have had a lot to say over the matter, with Republicans and Democrats, in usual fashion, having conflicting perceptions, highlighting the struggles of public officials of the United States to feign any sort of bipartisanship. Because had the rules been reversed, Democrats would likely be the ones criticizing the decisions and Republicans celebrating them. It has been reported that four balloons were also identified to travel across the U.S. previously, including three under Trump's presidency. Republican of South Carolina, Representative Russell Fry has condemned the Biden administration for not acting sooner, as a balloon fell right over his hometown. An especially notable reaction came from the Republican representative from Georgia, Marjorie Taylor Greene, who came to work toting a big white balloon, videoing herself, and tweeting, It's just an innocent balloon, hashtag SO2U, leading many to believe she would bring the balloon to the State of the Union address. It was also reported that she was yelling and cursing during a private briefing on the matter. She claimed that she was one of the last to put in her two cents and gave them an earful. Many believe that allowing the balloon to travel through American airspace for so many days was a threat to national security, though some accounts have claimed that while the balloon made its way across the U.S., they were able to study the technology and block further surveillance. Brigadier General Pat Ryder, the Pentagon press secretary, called the events a unique opportunity to study and track the balloon as it traveled during a press conference. Some believe that had the balloon not become apparent to citizens, the government would have attempted to cover the event up. Had the government been able to cover up the events of the Chinese spy balloon, and had there been any intentions to do so, it would not be the first time the government covered up events of a foreign balloon threatening the security of American citizens. In 1945, in Bly, Oregon, six Americans would perish at the hands of a Japanese balloon bomb, an event that was kept under wraps by the government. The six citizens, five of whom were children, would be the only civilians to die on American soil as a result of the war. 
This was not the only balloon bomb that landed on American soil, just the only one to claim any American lives. After the war concluded, there were reports that more balloons remained over North America, but had not detonated. In just 2014, forestry workers came across one in Canada, with a military bomb disposal unit coming in to detonate the bomb. Since the Chinese spy balloon was shot down, the United States has shot down an additional three UFOs. One in Alaska February 10th, one in Canada February 11th, and one was shot down over Lake Huron February 12th. None of the objects have been classified, and national security officials ruled out extraterrestrial origins. But one general, Glenn D. Van Herk, the commander of the Air Force's Northern Command, said during a news conference, I haven't ruled anything out at this point. While Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene did not bring a white balloon to the State of the Union address, her outfit has garnered attention for its resemblance to a white balloon. The State of the Union address took place last Tuesday, February 7th. This is an American tradition for the president to address members of the Congress with a current State of the Union and recommend measures to improve. Over the years, this event has gone through some major changes. Originally, the event was known as the Annual Message, first given in 1790, and it was known as the Annual Message until 1946, in which it then began to be referred to as the State of the Union Address in an informal capacity. Eventually, in 1947, it became officially adopted as a title and is now known as the State of the Union Address. Formally, the President's speech was lengthy and technical, providing an administrative report of various branches, along with an economic and budget recap. Since 1913, Woodrow Wilson revived the address occurring in person, and it became an opportunity to promote the President's platform. President Biden's current platform being, finish the job, a peek at what could be his 2024 presidential campaign slogan. During the address, Biden made a number of claims. A claim that has garnered major attention is that Republicans want to do away with Social Security and Medicare. Though these claims have been the basis for many Democratic arguments, they don't show the full picture. There have only been three Republicans to publicly come forward with proposals to cut, adjust, or phase out the government programs. Senator Mike Lee of Utah was filmed saying that he proposes getting rid of Social Security and programs like it, Medicare and Medicaid included, though this was filmed in 2012. Biden is not so far off the mark as Lee has previously supported cuts of the program, such as a proposal to raise the retirement age for Social Security. Senator Rick Scott of Florida's battle with the program lies in a proposal to sunset all federal legislation every five years, meaning that should the programs withstand the test of time, every five years the legislation would be voted on to keep Social Security and Medicare. Many Republicans were against this legislation due to the fact that the federal programs supporting medical and senior assistance would be included. Most inconclusive is the targeted claims of Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin. Johnson has stated that the program should be reviewed annually to prevent the programs from continuing to accrue debt while running on autopilot. Johnson was cited in interviews this week disputing Biden's claims and saying that he wants to save or fix the Social Security program, though he was also cited saying that Social Security is a legal Ponzi scheme. Following Biden's claims that Republicans want to sunset the programs, which he did correct to some, there were rumblings among the Republicans during the address particularly by, again, Marjorie Taylor Greene, who could be heard shouting, liar, essentially heckling the president during the address. While at no point did President Biden make any entirely unsubstantiated claims, many were exaggerations or clouded the entire picture, as in normal fashion for politicians. For example, claims include food inflation coming down, which is true, but more accurately, he should have said that the inflation is slowing down because the prices aren't coming down, but the price increases are slowing. 
He also claimed that the tide of exported goods and services had turned towards American goods and services, which again isn't entirely true. As American exports did reach a new high, the country also reached a new high of imported goods. Traditionally, the president also invites honored guests. This year was no different as Biden invited the parents of Tyree Nichols, a victim of police brutality, and Brandon Say, the man that wrestled the gun out of the suspected gunman's hands during the Chinese New Year massacre in Monetary Park, taking time to introduce and honor the guests, which highlights systematically racist and problematic policing system and the issue the United States has with gun violence. Last week also saw a chemical disaster occur when a train derailed in East Palestine, Ohio. The train company Norfolk Southern has delayed implementing safety features and instead have invested in stock buybacks. Additionally, legislation allows the company to avoid labeling dangerous class 2 chemicals as highly flammable. The most prominent chemical that spilled in this disaster being vinyl chloride, a chemical that has been linked to cancer. To prevent a further damage and a much riskier explosion, crew opted for a controlled burn of the substances, which instead resulted in producing the toxic fumes phosgene and hydrogen chloride. Due to the danger of the fumes, many were evacuated from the surrounding area, but the concerns for the fallout are not exclusive to the near future, nor the immediate surrounding area, due to some chemicals leaking into major waterways like the Ohio River. Comparisons of the event to Chernobyl have begun to sprout on social media platforms like Twitter. Many have become critical of not just the air silence around the matter, but the inaction of the government that allowed the disaster to occur. Similar events occurred in 2012 in New Jersey, causing pressure on regulators to better regulate trains with the volume and type of chemicals. But the chemical industry lobbyists wanted the board to limit the definitions of a classified as a high-hazard flammable train. The train in Ohio was not classified as such due to this pressure. What is significant is that the trains that fell under classifications were going to be required to use a special type of brake, known as electronically controlled nomadic brakes, or ECPs. The brakes would replace century-old designs that stopped the cars one by one. The updated braking system would electronically stop all of the trains at once, allowing for a faster and safer braking system. The rail industry fought this because of cost concerns, yet just last year, Norfolk announced a program to buy back $10 billion in stocks. President Trump repealed the brake rule implemented under the Obama administration that would have required trains to update the braking systems. After the disaster, Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg has avoided commenting on the matter, despite appearing on three talk shows since the events occurred. And the Department of Transportation's most recent regulatory agenda does not include reinstating the proposed ECP braking system. The fallout from the event will continue to come to light. This is incredibly concerning, especially the lack of coverage of the events by mainstream media outlets. It is also noticeable that when events such as this occur, individuals from opposite sides of the political spectrum will victim-blame those affected, typically baiting with the question, well, who did you vote for? Essentially insinuating that the disaster was of their own fault because of who they voted for. These are only three major events that occurred in the last week, and I encourage everyone to further learn about each of them, especially as they continue to develop. Join me again next week when a fellow student will join me and we will discuss what it's like to grow up in the digital age and how our perceptions of politics have been warped by the media and and the effects of media on politics. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Turn on a Dime. But wait, the content doesn't stop there. For more conversations on this episode's content, head over to my blog at hannahosbornebiz.wixsite.com. The blog and website are also linked to my Instagram at turnonadimepodcast. Tune in every Monday at 3 p.m. for more episodes. 
This has been Turn on a Dime.